And so last week we shared about what we go on. And over the next couple of weeks, can I just say to you, and in fact, there was a moment where I said, let's see the building. And I started showing you pictures of people being water baptized because it's really not about, build, about the building. It's about the lives that we're building. It's about the life. It's actually about you and it's actually about your friends and it's actually about the people that are not yet in the building. That's what we hear. And so I want to read from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4 and verse 5. This is what it says. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. That I may rebuild it. I'm calling this message, that I may build. That I may build. Father, I pray right now for your hand upon us as we are in week two of vision season. And we thank you, God, that as, as, as we spend time together in your word, that, that, that you would do only what you can do, that you would move our hearts. building the city that you would do something so incredible in Jesus name amen I'm, I'm talking from the book of Nehemiah and before the book of Nehemiah is a book called Ezra Ezra Nehemiah in fact in the original they were actually one book it was called Ezra Nehemiah they separated it just gave it two titles but the whole process is about the rebuilding the rebuilding of the whole thing and what happened was Israel had many battles it's not just today that Israel is in a battle, but Israel has many battles and God's people are going through a battle. And, and I, want, I want to say, I want to take a moment to say, just because we are God's people or you have a relationship with God, it does not mean you will, go through, you will not go through a battle. In fact, if, 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 if there isn't a battle, and if I meet people that, don't have a, that haven't had a battle in a long time, I, I'm concerned because it just means you're not on anybody's radar. <laughs> it just means there's no differentiation between the presence of God in your life or the absence of God in your life. And so we find in, in the book of Nehemiah that as we parachute into this text that, that Israel ha has had a battle and they're actually in captivity. They've been decades into captivity. And, in and 50 years they've been held captive in another country. And there are three characters, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah that God raises up in different periods of time across these books that come along and build a temple and they build a people and they remind them of what God shared. They bring back the promises of Moses and says, this is what you've got to do and sort of brings them and what they, what they, they have what you call a revival. And it was an interesting revival because I think sometimes we have merchandised the word revival. We think revival is six hour prayer meetings. We think revival is getting a tent and having a great time together. We think revival is people falling under the power. We think revival is miracle signs and wonders. And they're all parts of it. But when you look at the text, real revival is reformation. Revival is when crime rates drop in a city. Revival is when schools open their doors to the church. Revival is when people come from the north, the south, the east, the west to hear the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We can have revival with two or three people, but it would be greater if there's transformation across our city. The reason why we're going into a building, the reason why we're doing this is yes, so that we can have better facilities and we can have our own coffee machine and all that, but that's not really the reason. The reason we're doing this is so that we can see a move of God. We're building something so that there can be transformation in our city. I've been already walking around, walking around the, the area that our, that our building is and looking at a 
10K radius, a 20K radius and saying, God, what can we do? Let our, dif- let our presence here make a difference. And that's what Nehemiah and Ezra were doing. And so in Nehemiah chapter 1, I want to give you the paraphrased version. Nehemiah is going about his life and they're 70 years now into captivity. And what would happen was every now and then people from his tribe and people from his nation would have a trip to Israel. It could be because they were trading. It could be because of a business transaction. But they would be sent on errands. And as they would be sent on errands, they would swing by Israel. Some of them were probably born in captivity and had had great had stories about their city. But when they would walk through their city, all they would see is ruins. They would see broken walls. They would see uh, they would see wolves walking through the temple. They would see all sorts of crazy things. The curtains torn. They would see dust covered on the altar. It was absolutely in shambles. It was crazy. And so on and on, people would go and travel and bring back reports and everybody would have a moment and someone would shed a tear and someone might even put a post on Instagram saying, hashtag sad day, crying about Zion. You know, people would do all sorts of things, but no one really did anything until Nehemiah hears about the city. In fact, in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 3, Nehemiah is having a conversation with some of the people that had had their recent tour through the broken down city of Israel, of Zion, of Jerusalem. It says, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the promise, in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are are burnt with fire. The walls of Jerusalem, the walls of of God's temple, the walls of God's city are broken down and the gates are burnt with fire. Verse 4, it says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. In other words, the guys were telling him pretty much your people, our people, the people, God's people, everything is broken. You know, when we, if we can be honest for a moment, when we look around the church globally, there is a level of brokenness that's happening. It's not just in Queensland. It's not just in Brisbane. It's not just even here at Downpour. We've had people that were on our platform. It's like, where are you? Oh my gosh, no, I do not know where you are. But, but it's sort of like things have been broken. It's not just here, but it's across the world. I've got friends around the world. There's a level of brokenness. And brokenness can put us at a place of grief. It can put us at a place of pain. It can put us at a place of sorrow. But I love Nehemiah's posture because I want to ask us a question this morning. How would we handle this kind of news? I want you to picture this. Nehemiah is at home and he knows his city is in shambles. He knows his temple, his church is all broken for decades. And the news comes back and it was not like Nehemiah was the first one that hears these news. Have you ever received bad news? And you know, you know, you can say a lot about how, what a person's like based on how they respond to bad news. Like if you tell somebody bad news and they go, oh, sort of like, oh, compassion, you know? <laughs> Or like, you tell someone bad news and they go, "Uh uh-huh, tell me the gossip. (laughs) All right? You know what I'm talking about. You can have the same conversation with two different people and their their eyes, their their demeanor. They don't even have to say anything, but just their, you know, you're talking and they're bored and then they lean in. It's like, yeah, tell me more. Tell me how broken the walls are. Tell me how broken the city is. Talk to me about the dust. Did you collect any of the dust that was on the altar? Like, tell me. But I want you to look at Nehemiah's response. It was sort of like, oh, 
And he didn't stop there. He started praying. He started fasting. He started saying, God, these are your people. There was something in him that pushed him beyond the ors and the ahs. There was something that pushed him be, be beyond a Facebook post and a status update. There was something that pushed him beyond that. And can I just say to you, for 70 years, the city was unattended. And it was not like Nehemiah got new news that nobody else got a handle of. It was not like he was the first one to hear the state of the temple, to hear the state of the city. But what does he do? He begins to cry. And he begins to weep. Church, I pray that we're that kind of church. That when we hear the brokenness of lives around us, that we would not want to hear more news to make us feel better or to tell somebody else something. So when we have a cup of tea, know that we will be people that would grieve. We will be people that will weep. We will be people that have a heart for people that says, no, there's something that needs to change. And then it says he began to fast. And then he begins to pray. And there's this, this prayer. In fact, I'd encourage you to read Nehemiah 1, 2, 3 uh, this week if you can. But, but he begins to pray this long prayer. And I want to just, just sort of parachute into the last bit of his prayer. We read in verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Grant him mercy. Here's what Nehemiah is saying. He's saying, listen to the tears. Listen to my prayer. But he's not just saying, look at my pain. He's saying, now I need you to bless me. Now I need you to give me favor. Now I need you to give me opportunity. Now I need you to do something about, about this. And look at what the last part says. For I was the king's cup bearer. I was the king's cupbearer. I find it interesting that they put in that little detail there. Oh, God, bless me. Oh, God, oh, God, I'm grieving. And, and do something about it. And then Nehemiah says, make sure you write, scribe, that they know when they meet on the day of Pentecost in North Lakes Hotel that month of May, that they know that I'm the king's cupbearer. What does a cupbearer do? The role of a cupbearer, now Nehemiah, you got to understand, was not of the country that he was a part of. He was, a, he was in captivity. He was a refugee. He was, he, but he had this job around the king's table. He had this job in the king's palace. And the role of a cupbearer was the reason why he, the kings had cupbearers was not because some of you are like, oh, the king likes his fine wine. No, that's not the real reason. There is an element of, of tasting that happens, and there's an element of presentation that happens in the pouring out of wine. But the main purpose of the cupbearer was actually to taste the wine before the king. Because in that culture, what would happen a lot of times was people would get jealous and people would have agendas and ministers would get, you know, sort of territorial. And sometimes it was common practice to poison the king's, king's cup. So I want you to understand that every day Nehemiah would be saying bye to his family saying, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'll see you later. You know, and it's like, sometimes we're like, what a job he had. All he did was find, imagine war, Nehemiah walking around. It's like, what's your job? I'm a wine taster. Not realizing that the next cup of wine could be poison. You know, I, I believe we live in a culture where, 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 where yes, there's, there's wine, there's all that. But I think in many ways, coffee is the wine of the 21st century. I love, I love coffee culture. And I, I believe that, I believe that Nehemiah had a special relationship. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you have that favorite cafe you go to? And it's not even about the cafe. 
Yes, the coffee is okay, but you know, if you drive long enough, you'll find better coffee. There's always one that's doing the ranks and going the 10, 10, 10 and the 9.5 rating and all that. But really, I've come to realize one thing. A lot of times I've picked my coffee, yes, number, one, number two on the basis of the taste of the cup, but number one based on the barista. And so Nehemiah was nothing but a glorified barista. <laughs> Just putting it on, grinding the beans, putting that thing on. And so I've, I've, I've over here, they've set this up for me. This is not the best version, but I've got like a, like a little pod machine here. And I, I just have this in my pocket. Look at this. This, this looks, if, you, if you look from where you're sitting, this almost looks like a communion pack right here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just a communion pack. And so, and so here's Nehemiah in the king's palace. In the king's palace, he's just like, what's your brew today, king? What, what do you want? And, you know, it's got the pod machine going. And Let the aroma fill the house, Jesus. And on the day of Pentecost, when they were gathered together, there was a smell of abundance of beans. I'm just going to do a double shot. There we go. There we go. There we go. So Nehemiah is just, he's making sure before he serves the king, he's got, he's got the, you know, it's wine, but you know what I'm saying? I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble. I was going to get a bottle of wine, but ACC would, would not look good. So oh, what's the bean today, Nehemiah? It's Robusta. A little, little bit of, a uh, little, little bit of spice in it. Robusta. So here's Nehemiah tasting. He's the cupbearer. You're like, I've never. It's a day of Pentecost. I did not expect this to happen in church. And look at that. Co coffees are coming. Look at that. Look at that. Look right behind you. The coffee. Why don't we give her a hand? The coffees are coming. <laughs> the coffees are coming. The coffees are coming. All right. So, man, this church is crazy. The coffees, the coffee. So here's Nehemiah. He's drinking his cup of coffee and uh, you know, he's serving the king. and But what I want you to point out is that you find there's this tension where he's the cupbearer, but I don't want to deny the fact that it says he started weeping and he started crying. In other words, he was frustrated. He was frustrated. Is there anybody here that's frustrated? <laughs> I thank God for three honest people. Is there anybody, is there anybody in here that's ever been frustrated? And so here is Nehemiah, I want, you to, I want you to understand that this common ground between you and Nehemiah where he's frustrated. He's frustrated because the city is broken. And, and, and what you've got to understand is you will read later on in the text that Nehemiah was also actually frustrated with God. Because God promised protection and God promised safety and they were supposed to be God's, you know, if I signed up for this Jesus thing, if I signed up for this God thing, you know, I, I thought things were going to be okay. I thought I would never face this storm. I thought I would never face that illness. I, know, I thought I would, I would never face that weariness. And so there's this tension in the text that we can sometimes skip over in, in, in the joy of the rebuilding that's about to happen. But friend, let me tell you, there would have been no rebuilding. There would have been no renewal. There would have been no reformation. There would have been no revival unless there was frustration pastor how do I know what my calling is what frustrates you a lot of times I hear people say I'm passionate about this and I like this thing and I want to do this and I get that but I want to hear what really frustrates you 
I want to hear what really frustrates you. Because what frustrates you keeps you up in light. What fr- I was almost going to call this message, fix your frustration. Fix your frustration. Like, yeah, 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 the perfect message, just fix it. That's all my point. Fix your frustration. Because what you've got to understand, friend, is that faith and frustration have more to do with each other than you realize. Your faith and, fr- have, uh, and, and frustration can work hand in hand. In fact, I'll go as further as, as to say, sometimes the first step of faith is frustration. Pastor, pray for me because I have no faith. Are you frustrated? Now fix your focus. Are you frustrated? Now just angle that frustration. I, 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 are you tired? Are you, weird? are you sick and tired of that? Now angle that thing. You got to understand if you look at every, almost every miracle in the Bible, everyone that was healed was frustrated. The guy who was blind before he got healed had to yell out in frustration, son of David, have mercy on me. The guy who could not walk, maybe he wasn't frustrated, but his friends were so frustrated. I've heard sermons about how these four friends that were so faithful, I'm not sure if they were faithful or they were frustrated. I wonder if they were like, they were just tired of carrying this guy everywhere. There was no car seats. There were no ambo packs. There was no special equipment bus. There was none of that. They had to carry this guy. said, healing ministries in town. Let's just get this guy healed. I'm frustrated. It's frustration that causes people to break open the ceiling of somebody else's house without asking for permission. Frustrated. Frustrated. The woman with the issue of blood knew legally, not just religiously, legally was not allowed by law to touch a male man, a man, a person when she is bleeding. But frustration causes you to break the rules. Frustration causes you to move away from the norm. Frustration causes you to things that you do not do. In fact, if you're frustrated, welcome to the club. Everything I've done has not been out of passion. It's been out of frustration frustration even God got frustrated when he saw the pitiful state that we were in when he saw the brokenness when we saw when he saw all the lamb that was being killed and all the turtle doves that were being shot at when he saw all the all, all, all the shedding of blood he said I've got to do something about it he rolls up his sleeve and comes down to planet earth some of us think because of love but I also think because of frustration he said somebody needs to fix this and I need to get in the middle of that if you are frustrated you have more faith than you realize frustrated faith frustration frustration when I first ever arrived in Australia some of you know the story some of you don't but it was eight years I was 14 years old and eight years later I've been praying for eight years about this great incredible nation I've been praying for eight years and believing and seeing visions and seeing lives changed and lives transformed and miracles and everything that we saw in the camp, all that. For eight years, I'd never stepped in on Australian soil and was like, finally arrive here. And can I say, it took all my faith to get here. And remember a week later, I was disappointed because I thought the moment I arrived, everyone's like, Alvin's going to be here. We've had 15 visions of you. You're the savior of Australia. Come on in, mate. You know, I thought something of that sort would happen, but nobody cared about me. In fact, within the second week, I began to doubt. I began to say, was this a 14-year-old? Like, was this, a, you know, I was teenage. I was going through excess testosterone. I'm not sure what was going on in my mind. Was it God? But then I began to do something. No doors open for me. But you know what I said? 
Maybe God even, God, this, I came, this is the day things changed. The day things changed when I, was, when I stopped looking for a platform and I started looking for a prayer mat. I said, maybe God sent me here to Australia, yes, to do university, but while I'm doing uni in two years' time, I can be praying. I can be praying for this nation. I can be fasting for this nation. There's something about having a man on the ground running. And so I started praying, and I started fasting, having no faith whatsoever that any door would open. Two weeks into that, have coffee with a pastor. And he says to me, I'm going to do something that I've never done in 19 years. I've just sat with you for five minutes but something's bubbled in my heart. And he said, I'm going to play it safe. And I want you to speak at our young adults. It's a bunch of young adults. I go there, prayed up, fasting. You got to understand, when I, when I preached that message, there was eight years of bullets in me. I was shooting everything that moved. If Mark 16 doesn't work, I'm jumping to Zephaniah 4. If Zephaniah 4 is not happening, I'm jumping to Psalm 23. If Psalm 23 ain't working, I'm jumping to John chapter 1. And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I'm just going after it. And all of a sudden, God begins to move. Let me tell you, I was as surprised as you are. God begins to move. And pastor gets information about it. He says, I want you to go preach at this other small location that we have, Highfields. He says, I want you to go preach. And as I'm on my way to Highfields in the car, I'm being driven. I start hearing this name, Peter, 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 Peter and cancer, Peter and cancer, Peter and cancer. So I'm up there preaching and doing my thing. And towards the end, as the worship team comes up, I'm like, hey, I've sort of never done this before, but I'm getting this name, Peter, with cancer. Little did we know that Peter was diagnosed with some form of a tumor on his body. And as I laid my hands on it in front of our eyes, the church saw the tumor shrink. Now the pastor's like, I want you to come preach at our Sunday. And friend, I want you to know that one meeting began to unload and offload and things begin to happen. Can I say sometimes we are looking for the big thing when God is saying just do what is in front of you. You may not even have an opportunity but get a heart to pray. Get a heart to go after me. Let that fix that frustration. Focus that frustration and things begin to happen because every revival began with someone being frustrated. It didn't begin with someone just getting full. It began with someone being frustrated. I was reading up last night, I love reading stories of revival, and I was reading about Azusa Street Revival, where God uses, here's the crazy part, God uses a one-eyed black preacher called William Seymour, and brings about one of the most incredible moves of God the world has ever seen. I mean, we are here out of even that whole thing, church movements and church planting and denominations and families and all sorts of stuff came out of that. But it came because one man was frustrated when he read the book of Acts chapter 2. And when he read about people being filled with the Holy Spirit. But nobody, nobody was filled. And so he started praying. See, the problem with us is when we don't see what the scripture says, we will create a theology that the scripture never gave us. But he was frustrated. When you see something in scripture that doesn't agree with where your life is, it doesn't mean God needs to grow up. It needs you need to. But we have created movements out of, oh, that was for that time, and that was for this time, and something in him became frustrated. He said, no, God, this is unfair. My family is dying. My kids are dying. The church is dying. Nobody's filled. I don't see any miracles. And he just began to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And people started beginning to come. People began to come. People began to be filled in the Holy Spirit. Things began to be unusual. 
crazy things begin to happen. And you know what I love about the Azusa Street story? The first person that got filled in the Holy Spirit was not even the black preacher. It was a woman. It was a woman. And in those times and days, women were sort of in the back of the church. Some people still think that. I don't think so. I think women and men and children, everybody needs to be in the front of the church. It takes all to build a house of God. And God puts his hand upon a woman. She starts speaking in unknown tongues. The very first person that got filled in the Holy Spirit, a woman. And, and you got to understand, this was during a time that when there was an incredible racial divide between the black and the whites in America. They had passed legislation, they had passed laws, but the church was still segregated. But when William Samuel started preaching, you had the Hispanics, you had the blacks. In fact, people were falling. In fact, the, 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 the Los Angeles Times reported that it was such an ungodly sight because there was a black man fall, falling under the power and a white lady right next to him falling under the power. Let me tell you, when God moves in a place, it does not look that great, but it is great for the glory of God. Here's what I'm trying to say. God began to use the pouring out of his spirit to enforce what even legislation could not pass. Sometimes we look to the parliament when probably the parliament is looking to the church. Maybe it's the faith of us. Maybe it's the frustration of us. Maybe it's that thing that needs to come together where you say, I cannot blame anybody. I cannot point my finger anymore for too long. I've been pointing at everybody else. But maybe revival begins with me when Nehemiah got on his knees and when he began to pray. Can I say to you, Nehemiah was not a pastor. We've already established that he was a barista. <laughs> he was not a pastor. He was not a priest. He was just a cupbearer. Don't tell me you're not qualified. Don't tell me I'm not equipped enough. Don't tell me I haven't done this and I haven't done that. God will use anybody that is hungry to build his house for his glory. And so we have in the text this whole thing. And I'm thinking about even when we started Downport Camp. Downport Camp began not out of fulfillment. It began out of frustration. I would go to youth ministries everywhere and I would see God move and I would get into the car and I would know that some of them would go back to their homes that were broken. Some of them would go back into youth ministries that were non-existent. And I said, God, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot be the celebrated youth camp preacher. I've got to do something. And we started that thing 10 years ago with 30 kids. And today, what it's birthed is a move of God. Kids that got saved the first year are now youth pastors in their country town. Can I say to you, when you are frustrated, focus your frustration and put it and surrender it at the feet of Jesus. And God can do something great and mighty in Jesus' name. So my question to us this morning is, if you've been around Azusa Street, and if you've been around the things that God has done, what do you think God can do with this building? What do you think God can do with this place? What do you think? Well, but it doesn't begin. I think sometimes we can postpone the miraculous to when we are there. Let me tell you, we don't put our faith in brick. We put our faith in the Lord. We put our trust in the Lord. And right here, right now, let's grab a hold of that spirit that says, God, we need to see you move. God, we're believing for greater things. God, I'm not just coming to have a Sunday morning service. No, God, we need to see a moving of your spirit. And sometimes, a lot of times, that begins with me. And so Nehemiah turns up to his job the next day. And the story goes on to say, I'm giving you a paraphrased version. The story goes on to say that the king notices his frustration and says, what's wrong? In fact, Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 4, it says, Then the king said to me, what do you request? What do you request? 
So King notices he's frustrated. The king notices he's been grieving. He's been crying. He's got, you know, watery eyes. And so it says, so I prayed. This is Nehemiah. I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. I may rebuild it. Church, I pray that we would grab a hold of the scripture and say, God, if you could put favor, God, if you could move and if you could do what you can do, only what you can do, Lord, that I may rebuild it. God uses a barista and God can use you. History goes on to say, the story goes on to say that he literally rebuilds this temple that was broken for 100 years. It's amazing what God can do. And you know what is amazing? He did it in 52 days. Let me tell you, momentum is not, doesn't take a long time. Revival doesn't take a long time. We think, oh, we got, no, no, no. As the moment you set your heart, heaven is eager as long as we are participating. Heaven is willing as long as we turn up. And so I want to ask us the question because Nehemiah had to do an inventory. He went to his boss. He went to his king. And you might ask the question, who's your boss? For some of you, you may not necessarily have a king that you're serving. For some of you, your, our bosses is our emotions. So I want us to talk to our emotions and I want you to say, emotion, God is going to do something incredible. I need you to line up with what God is doing. I want you to talk to your calendar and say, calendar, God is doing something. I need you to line up and I need you to, no, you can go nicely, just like Nehemiah said. Don't be harsh on your emotions. I know, I understand. You know, you, you got to talk to what is happening in your world and say, what is it in my world that needs to line up with what God is building? What is in my world that needs to come together with God has taken us? Down, Paul, listen to me. Listen to me. We're not doing this for us in the room. We're doing this for thousands that are not in the room yet. We, 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 there are many, in fact, I heard a pastor once say, there are multitudes on the other side of our obedience. Multitudes on the other side of our eagerness. Multitudes on the other side of our willingness. We, let me tell you, a lot of times we say, God, do something new. And God is saying, when you start doing something new, I will start doing something new. God, a new move. God is saying, why don't you take a new move? Your routine seems the same. Everything seems the same. Uh, let me tell you, every time I've seen God do something new in my life, I had to do something new. Nehemiah had to step into something new. He could not just pray. And Maybe you're here like, but I'm just like just coming to church and I'm just checking this thing out. And I'm just, I'm just new here. Or maybe you're like, you don't, you don't know Jesus. Well, if you do not know Jesus, thank you for coming. We exist for people like yourself. We are here for you. You're not on the outside. You're right in the middle of who you're trying to reach. So welcome home. Praise God. And let's build this thing together. So many excuses we can have of saying maybe I'm just not equipped enough. Or maybe I'm not qualified enough. And maybe I'm not sure what, what, what is a good time for any of us. It could be our marriage. Maybe this is where my marriage is at. This is where my finance is at. This is where my time is at. But friend, can I ask you, like Nehemiah, to say, God, you got to do something. I've read the book and it's messed me up. I've learned history and it's shown me a better way. You know what they say? History repeats itself. Usually they say that about bad things. Well, I've read revival stories, and I'm saying, yes, history, repeat yourself. 
Because every time things get darker, the light is going to shine brighter. And so you can tell me how bad it is and you can tell me how horrible it is. Give me all your bad news. Come on. Give, the more you discourage me, the more you tell me how bad it is, the more you say how broken it is, that excites me to literally up my game and say, I've got to do, I've got to build something. I need to go after this God because my God specializes. In fact, there's a story in the Bible where a guy was sick in bed and Jesus delays his arrival so that he can die. Could it be that God was waiting for things to get so ugly so that he can actually turn up to the graveside and say, Lazarus, Brisbane, come forth. Northside, come forth. Downpour, come forth. Arise in the name of Jesus. Come forth. Come on, somebody. Stand up. Come forth in Jesus' name. Maybe God needs to walk to our graveside and say, come forth. Speak life into things that are dead in Jesus' name. Speak life. But the truth be told, none of us had a bigger excuse than Nehemiah. Do you realize that Nehemiah was held captive when he built the temple? He had a warrant on his name. He had an ID from Babylonia. No one can say we are in Nehemiah's position. He was held captive, but yet God used him in the midst of his captivity to build the temple in 52 days. I wonder what would happen, church. If you could say in this season, God, I'm going after this. I'm going after you. I'm going after this. Not for my sake, not for their sake, but for your sake. I want to read one more story. We're going to come to a close. But before that, maybe you're like, Pastor, I'm excited. Sign me up. What do I do? I want to build something. Throw a brick at me. Do whatever. Well, well, there's some practical steps. Last week, we spoke about launch teams. As, as we're stepping into this whole building phase, we are going into launch teams, not into dream team. We're going into launch team. We're launching this thing. Church, I'm saying it right now. I'm believing for 550 to turn up at our first weekend. That's what I'm believing. And if you do not have faith, you hold on to your unbelief. But my God and I will show you 550 people at our building on that weekend in Jesus' name. And I want to invite you on that opportunity to be a part of seeing God move for His glory. It's a whole nother experience when you're on this side of the miracle. And when you see it happen, let me tell you, Jesus is lifted up. Christ is magnified. And the church is the hope of the world for the city around it. And so you're here like, okay. Now usually we give you an email, usually we give you a form. We may, we're keeping it real barista style this morning. We're keeping it real barista style. If you're feeling a call to the launch team, I want you to talk to Pastor Regan, myself, Pastor Leah, Pastor Katie. We're all in different sides of the room. You know who we are. If you don't, why don't we just stand up? Why don't you guys stand up and just give them a wave, some on the back, some on the front, or me. You know, it's easy to identify. Just talk to us and say, hey. In fact, last week I had people come up to me and say, people that had never put their hands up saying, I thought I wasn't called or I thought I'm not good enough. No, I was like, no, you, God's in you. Christ is in you. You are you're more than able to do exceedingly abundant, more than you can ask and imagine or think. I just started speaking faith into them. And I just want you to say, don't let the enemy tell you you can't do this. Don't let the enemy steal away your miracle. And I want to share one more story just before as we come into a close that I believe is so powerful. One winter day in Biloxi, Mississippi, a 25-year-old woman deci decided to kill herself. Listen to this. 
She couldn't take it anymore, and she wanted to end her life. She went to the bridge over the Mississippi River. The water was frigid, and the bridge was high. She climbed over the railings and threw herself over. She hit the water and started sinking. Unknown to her, a man on the bank of the river saw her jump. When he did not see her surface, he jumped in to rescue her. She was sinking deeper when she heard him dive in. Then she started hearing the poor man flailing around when he had jumped in because he had forgotten that he couldn't swim. <laughs> the heroic idiot was splashing and screaming, help, help. So the woman who was trying to kill herself swam to him and pulled him out to the bank. He was choking, so she gave him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. And somebody called a paramedic, and the both of them survived. The journalist who wrote the story ended with these words. That night, it wasn't the man who saved her. It was purpose that saved her life. Maybe you feel like you're at the end of your rope. Maybe you feel like oh, nothing's going to happen. Sometimes God doesn't solve our problems. Do you know that? It never says that Nehemiah got out of captivity. Do you realize he had to go back to Babylon? Sometimes he answers your problem by giving you a bigger vision. That says, can you believe? Can you believe that you will be part of seeing a move of God? Can you believe that you can be a part of seeing miracles come forth? I preached a message a while back. I'm going to preach it again called, I Have Imaginary Friends. Can you believe that there's going to be imaginary friends coming to the house of God that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Friend, I'm talking to pastors day by day, and all we're hearing is brokenness, 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 brokenness. We need to do this. I know we usually say we get to, and we get to, but we need to. We need to. We need to. We need to. There was a generation that gone before us that has built a church, that has done incredible things, and we are standing on their shoulders. But this morning, this season, let's be builders of what our kids can stand on. For the sake of this nation, and for the sake of the church, and for the sake of the gospel, let's stand, let's be pioneers, let's be imagineers, and see God do something only He can do as we put our hands to the plow, like Nehemiah saying, God, take my frustration and pour it in faith. Pour in faith and, and do only what you can do in Jesus' name. Church, why don't we stand up right now? I sense God's doing business in all of our hearts. And there's something that's, that's, I just feel a stirring right now. You know what I love about the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost was not just the day where they spoke in other tongues. They spoke in unknown tongues. And then the gospel was preached through all those people. And 3,000 were added to the church. And so every experience we have has a purpose. Every experience we have has a direction, has a motivation. And so church, I want to encourage us right now with every eye closed, with every head bowed. Right now, just talk to Jesus.